Welcome to Disability Inc., a podcast by Include NYC. My name is Caitlin Rowe, and I'm a family educator here at Include NYC. And we're continuing our conversation with Rachel Simon. Rachel Simon is an award-winning author and nationally recognized public speaker on issues related to diversity and disability. Her titles include the bestsellers, The Story of Beautiful Girl, and Riding the Bus with My Sister. Rachel is also the sister to Beth, who we've been talking about, a woman with an intellectual disability who we meet in her book. Um, so I'm just really excited to, to keep, keep the conversation going with Rachel. And, and thank you so much, Rachel, for, for joining us and uh, talking with us about all of these sibling issues. We've, we've chatted about so much already, so I'm excited to, to keep going and keep the conversation rolling with you. Oh, that's great, and um, and thanks for doing this. I'm I'm really glad to be here. Yeah. So we already chatted, kind of a how the book came about, um, some of the the experience both of us have had as siblings growing up, and um, and just kind of sibling relationships in general. Um, but the the book was was written uh, a while ago. So what's kind of happened since the book was published? Since you stopped riding the bus with Beth. Well, um, so uh, Riding the Bus with My Sister, the book, came out in 2002, mm-hmm. and then there was a film adaptation in 2005, mm-hmm. and then in uh, 10 years later, they did a 10-year anniversary edition, which has some updated material in the back, and then more has happened since then. So, yeah. Um, so since, um, okay, so... Uh, let me cover just a couple things that happened during the year I rode the bus with Beth. Um, I, there was a great deal that happened. That's why one writes the whole book. But one of the big things was that my sister's case manager kind of took me under her wing and explained a lot of things that had been happening mm-hmm. that were essentially civil rights development um, over the course of my and my sister's life that I didn't know about mm-hmm. and that were strongly influencing the way my sister's agency provided supports for her uh, and answered some of the questions uh, that led my family to be upset with the agency a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and one was my sister loved to ride the bus and the agency didn't make her get a job and mm-hmm. we would get very angry with them. Why did they do this? And mm-hmm. my sister's uh, case manager introduced me to this concept called self-determination that says that people with disabilities have a right to make their own choices mm-hmm. about their own lives. Right. And my sister had found her life passion, which was riding the buses, and she wanted to do that. And that the agency was going to support her in her what she wanted to do and not try to stymie her. Mm-hmm. And this was a big challenge for me. And so about half of the book, in subtle and not-so-subtle ways, is right. me grappling with the concept of self-determination. And one of the things that kept initially getting in my way was I thought, well, what if she doesn't make good choices about her own life? Mm-hmm. And thinking of all the poor choices she might make, or, mm-hmm. or, or that I felt she already had. Mm-hmm. And my sister's case manager said, well, you have two other siblings, and what do you do when they make choices you don't like? And I thought, well, uh, I tell them they're kind of being blockheaded. And, and she said, and yeah, then what do you do? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, then I stop. And she said, well, what do you do with that? Well, then I pound away. And yeah. I realized I wasn't treating all my siblings equally. Mm-hmm. And Beth was giving me the freedom to be who I was. So why couldn't I give her the freedom to be who she was, even if it wasn't who I wanted her to be? Right. Um, so... Uh, ultimately, I came to really embrace self-determination, and mm-hmm. riding the bus with my sister, the book in particular more than the movie, is is my transformation. And as part of that, I also learned that the terminology I used to talk about my sister's disability was no longer being used. Mm-hmm. We used to use the MR words, the mm-hmm. um, kind of medical ones, and you know, to not use that, to use people first language, so a person with mm-hmm. an intellectual disability, I learned mm-hmm. to do that. And um, learning about my sister's age and what their lives were like, uh, coming to really, my sister has a boyfriend, coming to really know him as a mm-hmm. person. He also has right. an intellectual disability. Um, coming, you know, to talk with her more about 
sexuality, but in appropriate language mm-hmm. in the book. Right. Um, and it's just all of that. So the book comes out. Uh, I had, in fact, become a better sister through this process, and that continues to be a um, an, an ongoing experience of mm-hmm. learning. But I became a sister who was mm-hmm. much more given to um, accepting uh, someone in their totality mm-hmm. rather than as checks on a checklist and recognizing that part of the tension that had been between us for many years mm-hmm. was that I had confused love with control. Like yes. that to show my love for her and show I was a good sister, I had to tell her what to do instead yeah. of accept who she was mm-hmm. and be part of who she was, like ride the buses with her instead of try to get her off the buses. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, that it was utterly transformative and it transformed all my relationships. So the book comes out and I start getting asked to do public speaking, which I had not done before, but mm-hmm. um, anyone who's a family member uh, of somebody with a disability and, and many people who have disabilities also um, are kind of doing public speaking all the time because you're always kind of right. standing up yeah. for saying what's right. and. Mm-hmm. So, or um, explaining things, right? Or explaining <laughs> things, or, or giving someone what for. And, you yeah. Know. Um, and so it was e- an easy thing for me to kind of slide into. And through doing that, which I'm still doing all these years later, right. um, in fact, the next place I'm going is Nebraska. So I have to talk to you oh, about that. Oh, from Nebraska. <laughs> I know. It's yeah, so coming, going to my home state, which will be great. <laughs> and be, I know. And I haven't been there yet. But anyway, I don't want to get off on that. But, um, uh, I've I met a lot of other people with disabilities mm-hmm. and family members mm-hmm. and staff, and I became very immersed in the world of advocacy, and it came to really define the trajectory of my life in a way that it hadn't mm-hmm. so explicitly mm-hmm. prior to that. So right. I wrote a follow-up novel that also did really, really well called The Story of Beautiful Girl. That's fiction, but it works with this material and um, did it really touches people um, mm-hmm. and uh, and have been working on other disability related projects since then and um, just being a, a part of that world mm-hmm. right. uh, and so that's part of what's happened to me um, mm-hmm. and then the, the movie of course was sort of a part of that um, and then Beth um, I when I was writing the book because I published other books mm-hmm. prior to this one, prior to writing the bus, I knew that there was, however slim the chance, there was a chance that it could become successful. And so I made a decision well before it came out that I would do a little bit of tweaking of um, details in the book uh, so that Beth, if the book did become really successful, she right. could continue to live her life as her life is. Right, yeah. So I didn't identify the city. Um, she has her real name in the book, and I have my real name, but all the other names are changed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. So uh, as a result of that, when the book did, in fact, become very successful, she didn't have to change her life. She didn't have to, you know, worry about somebody jumping on the bus mm-hmm. and throwing a microphone in her face. And, um, and so she can... Her life is not entirely the same, but largely the same. She still lives in the same place, mm-hmm. and she still rides the buses a lot. Uh, some of the same drivers are still driving, although uh, some have moved on, some have retired. Uh, unfortunately, a few key ones have passed away. Oh, yeah. I know. It's terrible. Um, really terrible. And You really connect uh, with, with those bus drivers in the book, too, I have to say. It was, yeah, they're just such strong characters and and they sound like such wonderful people so yeah and they are they're such wonderful people um i mean they became my friends Mm -hmm. and in fact one of them who who did pass away uh his daughter got married last summer and she invited me to her wedding oh that's so nice Um, i know and it was and i remember seeing her like when she sort of came out of the back room after you put the veil on and everything but before she was actually in the um, in the chapel, and she saw me. I was it was it was actually near where the restroom was, mm-hmm. and she came out and she said, "Oh, look!" And she showed me on her bouquet. She had this picture of her father that I had taken on the bus, 
And um, she Aww. said, see, he's here with us. And we both burst into tears, and it was so great. Aww, so anyway, I mean, it just, you know, mm-hmm. um, so, but that's still what my sister does. Now, yeah. she's had some ups and downs with her boyfriend, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's had a lot of ups and downs with his life. He, mm-hmm. unfortunately, does not have a, an involved family, yeah. and he has a few additional layers of issues, mm-hmm. and so he's... She and I, uh, the past few years, have mm-hmm. put a great deal of effort into advocating for him. So she and I kind of as a team mm-hmm. support him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, of course, they still provide emotional support for each other. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'll track down the case manager who's never being very good with him mm-hmm. and say it's time for a meeting, and then I'll go to the meetings and... And Beth will go and, you know, will advocate for this or that. And, you know, last year he didn't have a winter coat anymore. I bought him a winter coat. I mean, you know, all of that stuff. So, um, And I'm sure stepping uh, into that role for Beth, being able to do that for, you know, for her partner, uh, I'm sure that's brought some insights in for her. And she's got to learn a lot both for herself and for her partner through that process of of kind of being an advocate for him and a support to him. You know, I don't know that she's learned. I think it's been more an affirmation of what she already knows, Mm -hmm. which is that um, nobody gets one over on her. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yeah, so like if somebody is supposed to return a call and doesn't, she is like... She's on it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, she's 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 really good. I mean, she. I know there are people who are afraid to speak up. Mm-hmm. She is not one of them. And, good for um, her. <laughs> yeah. So it's really it's been that's been really good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, there are times when you know it's interesting. People who work with him, um, they'll they'll try to kind of skirt truth, mm-hmm. and she'll see through them. Oh, that's and they great. think they can manipulate her, and mm-hmm. they can't. And mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's been it's been very interesting and troubling to see how good her agency is with her, and how woeful some of the people who've worked with him have been. Oh, um, and, it, yeah. and part of that has to do with just he's in a somewhat different system, and um, he just doesn't he doesn't have an active family, and it. it, it so it's really it's a remarkable mm-hmm. difference mm-hmm. in their two lives. Yeah, the, and I, you know these factors. I think you're touching on you know something we had talked about before a little bit. We're talking about again, which is which is kind of in a lot of ways the elephant in the room, and maybe not even depending on the family you're in. Maybe it is verbalized that you know you as a sibling are going to take over care. You're going to be an involved family member. Um, and and kind of be doing that and I you know I I think I'm um, still in a place where luckily my parents are very healthy and young still and and still doing all of the primary caregiving and and a lot of ways of managing uh, my little brother's care but he's lived in a group home for for several years now Um, so they don't do the day-to-day but there's a lot of other things that are involved um, to make sure that that day-to-day is quality care being provided and that um, it's it's in his best interest and that he has good staff around him and things like that. Um, but, I, you know, it wasn't always, it wasn't said in our family growing up, oh, you definitely have to take care of your little brother. But I think we all kind of understood that um, us other three siblings were we were going to have to figure out how to work with each other and and kind of take over at some point from our parents to to make sure that my brother had the care that he needed the supports that he needed yeah I think you know I think this is a little bit complex so I do need to add a couple of footnotes mm-hmm. to this and I touched on some of this in in our in part one of our podcast mm-hmm. interview um, there are um, people where taking on that role isn't right for them as people. Mm -hmm. It doesn't fit the relationship. Um, Maybe they get a spouse where it's oil and water with the sibling, Mm -hmm. or or maybe they have their own, let's say they have mental health issues, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they're just 
not going to be able to provide that yeah. support. You know, that or or a professional degree that takes them far away, right? It, it, there's exactly. So exactly. there's logistics, there's relationship details that go into this. There's so many different things that um, that kind of go into this. I mean, I I live in New York City. My family all lives in Nebraska. Even that distance. Um, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, it that's it makes huge. it makes a difference in in kind of what what parts of the caregiving responsibilities I'd, I'd eventually be able to help my family with. Um, yeah, it, all well, of those things are kind of the different factors that go into this. And, and I, what I'd like to do is sort of tie that back in with self-determination because mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I think is uh, not talked about enough when people do bring up the idea of self-determination and civil rights that people with disabilities have a right to make their own choices about their own lives. I totally support that, and that's as it should be. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very important also that that's true for the siblings, too. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if a sibling, you know, makes their own choices about their own lives, and that choice is for them to move to New York and pursue a career Mm -hmm. and not be there day to day um, or, 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 you know, or any of it, I mm-hmm. think that needs to be respected just as much. So Absolutely. everyone's choices need to be fully respected. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's just a really important detail, and I, I don't want that to get, to get lost. In no, I think it's good that we're highlighting it. I think, <laughs> I think everyone's going to come to their own decision about that, too, at the end of the day. And I also think it's going to change over time. Yes, 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 yes. There, there were periods, you know, when I, when I thought about, oh, I need to do X, Y, and Z because I know at this point in my life, I'll probably need to move back to Nebraska and take care of my brother. And then other points of my life where I've been like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, and I'm sure you've, you've felt similar way, uh, a similar way in kind of, um, and you even touch on it in your book when you're talking about kind of the evolution of your own relationship with Beth, your sister, um, and times at which you felt like you could take on um, a, a larger role or, or even just um, kind of being in touch with your sister more often, right? There's times where I'm just so busy, I don't, I don't call my family as often, things like that. Yeah. That just is part of life. Um, yeah, I, I think that's really true, and your responsibilities will ebb and flow and that will affect everything and and how you're feeling toward your brother and you know Mm -hmm. I the way I felt toward Beth I was angry with her for about Mm -hmm. 25 years Mm -hmm. until I you know rode the buses with her and came to the other side of that and then Mm -hmm. willingly Mm -hmm. took on this role and now I only live a couple hours from her Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't move further away in Mm -hmm. the past that wouldn't well when I first got out of college, yes, that would have been a factor. And then when I went into, you know, what turned out to be way too long um, of the anger and distance, emotional distance, mm-hmm. then I would have. But now I wouldn't because yeah. I, it's not even just the responsibility. I like being with her. I mean, now that I can just accept her for who she is, right. you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, okay, she talks too loud, fine. You know, I don't need to tell her to be quiet. Mm-hmm. If she if she you know eats has her chocolate milk and leaves some on her face, mm-hmm. uh, I I don't have to get annoyed. I can say, hey, you got schmutz on your face. Can I clean it off? Right, right. And to, you know, and I carry the water and the paper towels, and she'll say, yeah, sure, and I'll clean it off, and we're done. You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's easy. It's mm-hmm. easy. It's fun. It's fulfilling. Right. I, it's it's good. Right. And we're one half of this relationship too, right? Like the other half of that self-determination is, you know, my brother, your sister, do they want us around? How much do they want to be interacting with us? I mean, my brother is, is nonverbal. So we do video conferencing to stay in touch. And, you know, when the technology first came around and we first started doing that, I, I, 
was both annoyed and burst out laughing the first time that my brother hung up on me. Because <laughs> you could see his finger coming towards the camera on the on the smartphone to hang up on me. And I was like, no, wait, Matt, don't. <laughs> like, he hung up. He was like, no, I'm done with you. Like, I don't need to sit in front of this video and have you tell me about your day. Like, I have other more important things to do, right? So, like it's a two-way street like there's that other half of the relationship and and you know when I go home sometimes my brother wants to hang out with me sometimes he doesn't you know it's up to him uh well that's really good uh, my sister if I if I said to her I'm moving down the street mm-hmm. <laughs> you know she may have said to me for riding the bus I don't want you every day but honestly if I showed up every day she'd She'd be happy with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know that. You know her. You can like read into all of all of those nuances with her. Um Yeah, but... and, and you know, it's one thing my father said to me years ago where it was getting to him, but he also said, You know, you you know there's always someone who wants you and that's an incredibly mm-hmm. wonderful Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's just always there. And I've never not known that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it might have made me feel guilty at times. But um, but it's also just this wonderful reassurance. There's this mm-hmm. solid thing in the universe mm-hmm. of someone who, you know, yeah, you're going to come visit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little um, different from your brother. I, yeah. I get that. <laughs> yeah. Well, my <laughs> brother's also in his, in, in his 20s. So he's just, he's kind of like, no, nah, I'm, you know, a, yeah. young man in my 20s who kind of wants to do my own thing right now and I I get that <laughs> like, yeah like, I was once his age I didn't necessarily want family around all the time I didn't necessarily want you know hugs and a, like smothering older sisters so like, I totally get it I'm trying to respect his uh his boundaries in that way <laughs> like, and you know what'll be great like you'll get to be the age my sister and I are now and mm-hmm. And you'll and that will be part of the shared story that you guys will both mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, like any sibling, but but more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, more because they they know and you know that it it well. Now we can move to the code switching thing. Mm-hmm. You know, are yeah. you a sibling or are you a parent? You know, what or are you a friend? Like, what's your role? And I think all siblings. You know, initially you may not be thinking about this because mm-hmm. you know they're a, they're your playmate, and mm-hmm. but then you know, kind of early on, you do right. start to think about these things, and yeah, um, and I think it's a, it's a learning process, and mm-hmm. um, my, but where we've been at for quite a long time now is what I think of as code switching, which is. Like, it's like a dance. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll know in any particular circumstance, you know, okay, now I'm called upon to be more parental. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, now now I need to switch to being more sisterly mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, and do it, you right. know, on a dime. And, mm-hmm. and she gives me various implicit cues so mm-hmm. that I know mm-hmm. I'm not um, playing the wrong role and, you know, risking offending her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think... Um, I think how much time we spend in each of those roles, um, whether it be kind of being the playmate, um, maybe, maybe the confidant. I don't know if your siblings did this with you, but, but we always kept each other's secrets from our parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> there was no, there was no tattling. It was like, oh, nope, covering for each other all the time. Yep, um, yep. And and the same the same was sometimes true for for my little brother as well. It was like, oh well, we're gonna you know cover that up and and kind of smooth that over for him, yep. um, right? And then oh yes, absolutely. You know, and then sometimes being the older sister, um, which can lend itself to to a little bit of a mentor. Um, as well as, and then the parent role, when you're like really stepping in and you're thinking about maybe somebody's safety or happiness in a, in a capacity in which you kind of want to protect them, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think definitely growing up, 
I was constantly switching between all of those and how much time I spent in any of those roles really depended on what the situation was, you know, how old were we at the time? And I think it's continuing to evolve. Um, And I'm sure um, as I grow older, as my, our parents grow older, my little brother and, and, and I, our parents grow older, I think those roles will continue to switch and change in how much time we spend doing all of those. And like you said, you could do them all in the same day, just switch between all of them and, and based on kind of what your, your sister's requesting of you, right? Mm-hmm. Or the circumstance mm-hmm. is requiring, um, every so often the circumstance will require something where you have to be pretty subtle in how you express it so that she doesn't kind of take it the wrong way. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But we kind of have that down, too, at this point. I mean, but we're, t- like, twice your age, and so it's, you do, you do learn. You mm-hmm. do learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to want to learn, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You, you have to see the value in it, and I think a key, a key part of that is if you, if your family had this, view of the person with a disability as being childlike mm-hmm. um, and and maybe you even talk about them as having the mentality of a mm-hmm. you know two-year-old or a seven-year-old or you know whatever I think you're kind of putting that person in a box and mm-hmm. it's going to make it very difficult for you to maybe see them in a more expansive way mm-hmm. um, and I think particularly when people do move into um, a group home situation or some other kind of residential situation that isn't with the family, um, a lot of people do um, develop in new ways. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to have a more expansive view where you don't think of them as having to be controlled by you and where you can recognize that you can learn how to view them more as a full person. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's kind of a, a prerequisite to oh, yeah. to learning how to do the code switching. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you on that. And there were there were some things when, um, both when when Matthew, who we love to call Matteo, so if I call him that at any point, this <laughs> is like nickname. Um, but uh, you know, there were there were things when you know he first moved into kind of a, a group home, a residential program, and then also when he left high school and um, did more vocational type work, um, there were things that surprised us. Like, you know, I knew Matthew liked spending time outside, but his focus and how long he can do something without being redirected is a very short, short span of time. Um, so it was totally shocking to us when staff was like oh yeah he he actually really enjoys gardening like he pulled weeds mm. for 30 minutes without stopping and we're like wait what <laughs> wow <laughs> like, wow that does not happen this is not the same person right and maybe it was the people around him maybe they had tapped into some sort of activity we we never even thought to ask him to do because we were like oh no like he wouldn't want right. to do that, right? We made all these assumptions um, kind of growing up with him um, in which he had kind of all of these new people who didn't necessarily go in with those assumptions and, and got to kind of see him blossom in a couple different ways that way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, I think those life changes, just like, I guess, even for for individuals who move for other circumstances, whether it be college or whatever else, you kind of get to interact with other people outside of your family unit. And um, I think that also feeds into talking about with you, like responsibilities we may take on when our, when our parents are older or that you're already taking on with your sister. Um, the idea of having kind of a, a social network for my brother, your sister beyond family, um, really alleviates some of that responsibility on the family itself, but also peace of mind, just knowing that there are other people who care about my brother um, so much is is just comforting to know that he has a, a wider community now. And I'm sure you feel that way with the bus drivers for Ben. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I've even been contacted by um, people who work in stores that my sister will go to daily who've gotten in touch and said, you know, oh, I, I ended up reading the book, and um, and I see your sister every day, and mm-hmm. would you like me to, you know, be in touch with you if anything, you know, she needs anything, and yeah, so, it, oh, yeah, it's really, um, that, yeah, that's absolutely, mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with you. How, so, it, were you kind of moving to this question of, um, things you might be doing as your parents are doing less or like in my parents case not not doing anything at that yeah point. well I'd um, love to hear your perspective on that too because now um now you have much older parents and and um you know and I also want to point out too while we're talking about this we're both women right we're yeah. both sisters older sisters so traditionally who takes over a lot of caregiving responsibilities um it's the sisters it's the sisters so not just for my brother your sister but also for our parents right so yeah I I you know my parents luckily still like young and healthy and sprites and all of those good things but um but yeah at some point they're going to get older and the likelihood that I would be looked at for some of that that responsibility too in addition to a sibling it's yeah it's very likely it's very likely and if you have kids you're going to be doing that all at the same time mm-hmm. um well the past gosh it's, uh, let's just say about 10 years i've been that's been where i've been mm-hmm. um my first my mother got alzheimer's and um she lives in Florida with my stepfather, so I became really involved with going. Uh, I live in Delaware, mm-hmm. going down there a lot and helping out and um, helping him with her. Mm-hmm. And then um, up in Pennsylvania, my sister Beth and my father and stepmother, and they've had various health things. Um, and then there's also, uh, so there's two other siblings. Um, my older sister lives out uh, in the West. and. Mm-hmm. My brother um, was living a mile from me, and a few years ago, uh, mm-hmm. when his life was kind of at a low point, he got terminal cancer and mm-hmm. um, didn't have many resources for people to turn to. So it was sort of helping all the parents and my sister Bath and helping my brother go through mm-hmm. what became 22 months until he passed away, and mm-hmm. which was also, you know, part of that was also helping Beth mm-hmm. face that you know and uh, trying to help her get to see him when Mm -hmm. I just couldn't take the time away from him to be providing the transportation so it was a lot of a lot of psychology a lot of emotional stuff um right a lot to a lot to juggle logistically emotionally everything so I think a few general things I can say um there's sort of preparing for uh, the later in life stuff, mm-hmm. and then there's certain reality things. So um, the preparing, um, Beth is her own guardian, mm-hmm. but she might be a sibling who wouldn't be in a position to do that. Mm-hmm. And if she were, I think it's really important for siblings to be facing that pretty early on. Mm-hmm. You don't know when you're going to have to step up to the plate. Right. Um, so that if you are able to have open communication with your parents about it, mm-hmm. to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had those also, conversations in my family, too, about who, like, who's next in line for guardianship, mm-hmm. um, you know, who takes over different types of responsibilities. And um, good. it's been really great speaking with my parents about that because... I also think the professionals that are working with my parents back in Nebraska, um, they they even suggested maybe you don't want one of your other kids taking over. Maybe there's an extended family member who you trust who also has experience in this who maybe won't be as close to those decisions mm. at different times, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, like my parents struggle with you know, what about a major healthcare decision that they might have to make? 
Um, and they're like, it's one thing, you know, I'm a parent, I know I have that responsibility, to, but to pass it on to you kids to have to make some decision, you know, God forbid, if something were to happen with your little brother and you had to make some sort of life decision for him around health care, they're like, maybe we don't want to put you in that position. Maybe it would be better if it were an extended family member um, who, like, could have conversations with you, but then also be the one to make that decision and it doesn't fall on you guys. So things like that have even been suggested. I think, I think it's really, um, it's good to have those conversations. It definitely is. And I do know that there are going to be some siblings listening to this who are thinking, but my parents refuse to acknowledge that they're mortal and they're 80 and they still don't want to have those conversations. And that's very difficult. So mm-hmm. I think the best you could do at that point, at least in terms of the guardian stuff, mm-hmm. is find out maybe maybe for your parents mm-hmm. if they do have guardianship or if it's just not necessary. Mm-hmm. And then just read up on it on your own, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just so you're prepared. I had a sibling once say to me, the difference between siblings and parents is parents had 40 years to learn how to do this. Siblings have 10 minutes. Yep. So give yourself a head start on the mm-hmm. 10 minutes just by, mm-hmm. you know, take an evening, you know, look online, you know, familiarize yourself with the guardianship rules in your sibling state and um, and whether it's even necessary uh, and, and, and what other options there might be if that's, you know, not going to be an appropriate role for either of you for mm-hmm. you to yeah. take on. So that's that's one thing. Another thing that I actually did do when I was, gosh, thirty, mm-hmm. um, and I strongly recommend, um, is plan for the remote possibility uh, of your passing away, mm-hmm. um, and if you don't have a next of kin, mm-hmm. what you have is going to go to your parents or your siblings. If you have a sibling with disabilities and your sibling gets benefits Mm -hmm. and you die Mm -hmm. and you end up having something that goes to them, it could screw up their benefits because they might have too much money on Mm -hmm. hand. Right. Um, The threshold is very low and it wouldn't take very much. You could have Mm -hmm. a junker of a car someone sells and it might put them over the top of what they could have. Right. Yeah. So run, do not walk to, um, you don't even have to go to like a regular lawyer. You can do Mm -hmm. it online, Mm -hmm. but make a will and Mm -hmm. make sure whatever you might have does not go to your sibling, um, goes to maybe other siblings Mm -hmm. who can figure out how to meet it out so that it doesn't mess up that person's benefits Mm because, you you know, You'd be dead, but how could you live with yourself if you did that? You know, right, you yeah, absolutely. You, you couldn't. So that that one's really important. And I think a third, what you can do in advance thing, and then I do want to touch on after, you know, the, the, the reality thing. But in terms of preparation is um, if your parents are still actively involved with your sibling, um, see if just in conversation or they would write it down. You can get some sort of like a, a sort of guide to your sibling. So mm-hmm. not only the doctor's numbers and the, 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 the key, their key contact person at the agency and, mm-hmm. and the great speech therapist from when he was 11, yeah. but, but also things like when he tugs on his right earlobe, it means he really wants spaghetti, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing, like, like the stuff they know really well. And chances are you know it really well. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't been living at home for a long time, right. you might not. Things change. Things change. Uh, and, and them finding out things that have been effective or, or maybe things that haven't been. So you mm-hmm. can start thinking about, all right, well, how am I going to deal with that? Um, and I think it just... Having that alone will give you some mm-hmm, degree mm-hmm. of comfort. Um, and then I, I want to jump to these sort of, and then. Yeah. Uh, so eventually someone in your family is going to die. And right. it, it may be your parents. It may be, as it was in our case, um, one of our siblings. Mm-hmm. And 
it's utterly devastating to everybody, and right. I'm not going to try to pretty that up. Yeah, it's no. Crushing, crushing, crushing. But um, some people with disabilities have their own way of grieving, and it may not look like what you expect grieving to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned in the last podcast a couple of sibling resources yeah. to sibling organizations. Let's mention people... them again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that the way sibling, they're, they're out there. Uh, the Sibling Support Project mm-hmm. and the Sibling Leadership Network, and both of them are free and national, and uh, look them up online, mm-hmm. get involved. Mm-hmm. And, and even if all you do is, like, join the Facebook group, you can get to know other siblings. And, mm-hmm. um, and through doing that, I started to find out long before uh, my brother was sick, or, or even my mother had Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. that um, sometimes siblings, typical siblings like you and me, mm-hmm. could get very angry when, let's say, you know, I would hear this story. This was a story I heard several times. You know, Dad died. Um, Billy didn't want to leave the TV for Dad's funeral mm-hmm. because then he was going to miss the prices right. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. Ah! And then it becomes this whole big family right. to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that in advance really helped me when my brother did pass away to know that my sister was going to want to do any kind of a service in her own way, which in her case was she didn't want to be at the service. All she wanted to do was get there before it happened walk up to his urn, say her goodbyes, and get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to be dressed up. She didn't want to see anybody right, else. Right. And it was a little tricky because uh, some other people in the family kind of wanted her to have a little bit more active involvement. But mm-hmm. this was what she wanted to do. Right. And, um, and I was able to help her do that and, you know, kind of keep everything, everybody okay with that and Mm -hmm. so she did it and said her goodbye and Mm -hmm. left and Mm -hmm. um so i think understanding that the grief process i mean for everybody it's you know unique but i think having expectations of what people should do right when when mom and dad die and when you know god forbid you have another sibling who dies like i did um Mm -hmm. It's it's only going to make a very painful situation so much more fraught than right. it needs to be. Right. So people grieve. Each of us does it in our own way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if they want to stay home and watch The Price is Right, maybe that's okay. Maybe yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think that's so important. I think they're going to grieve in their own way. And I think you also have to respect what they have decided is their own self-care in that moment, yeah. right? Right, self-determination. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for all of us, for all of us um, yeah. in that in that respect. Um, losing a loved one is, like you said, it's not easy, and, and there's no point in sugarcoating that. Um, I, think, I think that's going to be challenging regardless of the circumstances, and then there's some added nuances um, when you throw in uh, some of the needs or supports or quirks that come up with um, with with certain individuals in the family and, and how the, all that works out. I think that's great advice. Um, do you have... Uh, and if, if yeah. I may add, mm-hmm. um, there's a wonderful, it's now pretty old, but totally worth seeing, documentary uh, called Best Boy, um, that uh, a film, a young filmmaker at the time mm-hmm. named Ira Wall had a cousin named Billy who mm-hmm. had intellectual disabilities, was in his 50s and still lived with his parents who were, who were old. Mm-hmm. And um, Ira realized this was not a sustainable situation. And the documentary follows Ira presenting this to his aunt and uncle mm-hmm. and uh, and saying, you know, you got to prepare for when you're not here. I know that's terrible to face, but we got to do it. And then filming for the next three years as Philly learned how to be in the world mm-hmm. and 
Uh, and during the movie, one of the parents does pass away, mm-hmm. and uh, watch that movie, and it's you'll go through every motion. It's the most absolutely wonderful film of all time. I mean, I just mm-hmm. cannot speak highly enough of it. Um, and it, uh, the reality of everything will be right there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be right there for you. Absolutely, so yeah. It's it's totally worth digging that one up. Oh, thank you for that recommendation. I will. I'll have to do that, and so will so will the listeners. Um, and one one last thing I want kind of you to give us a little advice around is um, when siblings might when there's more than one sibling who takes on responsibilities, right? Like we're both one of four in that way. When siblings clash over care decisions, um, managing that and thinking about that. Yeah, that's really tough. I I don't think there's really a hard and fast rule because it's so particular to each individual situation Mm -hmm. and and is just as likely to happen with an aging parent as Mm -hmm. it is with a special sib. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think what tends to happen is one sibling, whether because of proximity or mm-hmm. the quality of the relationship uh, or their availability, um, mm-hmm. is more active. And then sometimes the other one will kind of kind of appear on the scene and start weighing in and it may not you know that seems to be where the clashes end Mm -hmm. up coming in where things are already kind of established a certain way uh i there's really not an easy way around that you i think the ideal thing is to try to keep the channels of communication open with Mm -hmm. with all the siblings um or, or maybe there's you know some like an uncle or something you know just keeping those lines of communication open um and uh and and maybe if the clash comes down to like a philosophical difference mm-hmm. to talk about that and by that i mean let's say you do support that you know billy has a right to choose how to live his life and then you know uh aunt mary comes in and says well this is what i want him to do you know that that brown wallpaper is awful we're going to put pink up mm-hmm. well, I think Billy should pick that out. Well, I don't, you know. And then to calmly talk about uh, maybe times when you have come to realize that for Billy to make that choice himself, Mm -hmm. uh, things are going to go better. Um, And then, you know, do your best with it. Uh, I I think the good thing about this Mm -hmm. when it happens is everything does change. So if things start off with a clash, doesn't mean they're going to stay that way. Right, right. Uh, time passes. That you know the family member who isn't in line uh, with where you are. Mm-hmm. You know someone's going to talk to them, maybe a professional, mm-hmm. and they may come right. to view it diff- differently. Or maybe a professional would mediate, and or you take a step back mm-hmm. because for whatever reason that seems like the better thing to do. Right. Um, at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think it's a great thing to be aware of and, and like you said, kind of continue those, like that communication and keeping everybody up to date. And, um, yeah. and, and sometimes, sometimes those things will happen, right? And, and that's just, that's all part of this, this too. Um, so Rachel, we're coming, we're coming to the end of our time. So is there any last parting advice you want to give to parents, to, to siblings, to any kind of anyone else listening? Boy, oh boy, there's too much. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I guess if there's one thing, no, I would say two things. One is, um, try, even if it's inadvertent trying to connect with other family members uh and i don't mean your family i mean just like the way you and i are right Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. and you'll hear a lot of similarities and you'll hear things you wouldn't have thought of Mm -hmm. that will give you ideas and or maybe you would be able to say i'm struggling here you know 
do you have any thoughts? And maybe they won't, but they could give you comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So that sort of larger world of other family members that were who were not uh, uh, upfront about that mm-hmm. when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but people are now. Oh, and yeah. So I, I think that's definitely um, worth cultivating. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think the other part of it is that the whole sort of self-care thing uh don't neglect your own well-being and if you're feeling really angry or really oppressed or resentful um to be in a situation where you can talk that out maybe with other siblings uh i have found it kind of tricky to find counselors with this area of expertise Mm -hmm. right but maybe maybe that'll start to change sometime Mm -hmm. soon Mm -hmm. i hope i hope Um, so too yeah, uh, and um, uh, just recognizing what, you know, what you're feeling and, and maybe why you're feeling it. I mean, so much of my anger with Beth came down to that I was angry that she was being Beth and that I wanted her to be a different Beth. And um, mm-hmm. when I let go of that, uh, a lot of the anger kind of stopped. and. Mm-hmm. Or, or there were things like I just okay. I if I knew she was gonna say something that would irritate me, well, either let her say it and don't respond. You know, mm-hmm. kind of break that mm-hmm. cycle. Like I found a real value in keeping my mouth shut, and then it doesn't kind of fuel the same verbal cycle of she says this and I say that, and we get into a loop. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no loop if I kept my mouth shut. Um, or, or you know, headed off at the path so she doesn't even get to that point Mm -hmm. you know kind of learning techniques and for self-care and I guess the the last piece of that is seeing how other people interact with your family member and you may in fact find like I did with the bus drivers that they approach your family member in ways that are very positive and very successful Mm -hmm. and what can I learn from these people I otherwise wouldn't know, right. but what can I learn that will make my relationship with her smoother? And boy, just from observing them and, and with them giving me a couple pieces of advice, it was very transformative. So, you know, you can get that even with, you know, the, the person who delivers the mail to the group home mm-hmm. might, might, you know, just even watching that, you might get an yeah. interesting tip and it yeah. could be really enlightening. Yeah, I think that's wonderful advice. Um, And I just want to thank you again for joining us and for getting the opportunity to chat with you and and talk about all of these these issues. Um, And with that, we're signing off on Disability Inc. Well, it's been a delight, and thank you so much. It's, It's been more than a delight. It's been an honor. Thanks. Thank you.